So the reading is taken from Colossians 2, verses 2 to 7. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. <clears throat> For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the word of the Lord. So in a moment, you'll see on the screen, it's here, a picture of Huxley, who is our third grandchild. And um, after this, you'll see a picture of his mum and dad. So Matt is, uh, is his dad, he's our son, and Chloe is Huxley's mum. And I am very fond of saying that Huxley, and it's true as far as I'm concerned, is the image of Matthew when he was that age, not now. They're all dressed, as you can see. They're both Welsh. They're all Welsh. And so the first thing that Huxley was bought was uh, a Welsh rugby kit, as you can imagine. That's what they're doing. <laughs> That's why they're all dressed like that, ready for the international. But actually, uh, Chloe's mum said to her the other day, well, you know, I think Huxley is really like you. So there was this kind of tension in the air, and then I kind of thought of the stock answer, but it's true. Huxley is, in fact, an individual. Huxley is not the image of anyone. And that is the case with every living thing. Joe told me not to say this, but I think it's kind of true that God never repeats himself. Joe said, you know, people are going to wonder about that. But I just look at the, the created world and I, I just look even at flowers that are supposed to be the same, but they're, all of them are slightly different. We are absolutely unique. But our goal is clear. As we heard of that at the end of that reading that, uh, that John has talked about, just as you received Christ Jesus, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. And of course, that is our goal. But of course, the big question without any sermon, any teaching is how? How do we do that? And if as the title of this sermon um, is, is we are to explore what does it look like to be a church that is learning to learn. The truth is that it's going to be different. It's going to be different for every one of us because to a, to a certain extent, it's going to depend on how we are made. There's been quite a lot of work done over the last few years on spiritual temperaments, and it's really interesting, and the impact that these temperaments have on how people learn about God, how they experience him, and how they grow in relationship with him. 
And this morning is a cut-down version of some work done by M. Perrin, and she identified nine spiritual temperaments. Now, just so that you're not here till halfway through this afternoon, we have seven that we're going to look at today. And it's going to be very practical, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand at the end of the description of each one if you think that that may be something that is true of you. But I've gone even better because I've got six volunteers. I wonder if those volunteers would come out to the front. And each of them have got like a color spectrum. With each of the temperaments that I'm going to be talking about, you can see them up there, um, each of them identified around the edge. And there's a color that they can fill in according to how far that temperament is true of them how much it describes how they relate to God, how they engage with God, how they experience God. And the other thing that I want to tell you is that there are seven of these, and after we've done the fourth one, we're going to break and we're going to have a song, because I think there's a lot of information for us to process. So um, if the worship group will be ready after the fourth one, I'll give you a bit of a clue. It would be good if you're ready and, and we can come and sing. Because I just think we need time. There's not a great deal more in the service, so don't panic if you see the time going on. But I think we just need time to, uh, to think about how this might be true. So those spiritual temperaments you can see there, there's the naturalist, the structuralist, the ascetic, the caregiver, the activist, the creative, and the individual. And we're going to look at each of those in three different ways. We're going to look at how Jesus embodies all of them. Not surprisingly, he's God. And we see examples of him embodying every single one of those in the Bible. We're then going to look at how it might be true of us, and then, because it's Education Sunday, we're going to look at how in our schools the teachers are developing those different spiritual te uh, temperaments. Really important that we understand how it is we engage with God. And, um, and we'll talk a little about, bit about it as we go on. So the first one is naturalist. Jesus spent almost all of his time outside, and it's clear when you read the Gospels, when you read about his teaching in Matthew, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, behold the birds of the air. In Matthew 13, he talks about the parable of the sower, and in Matthew again, and also in Luke, the story of the lost sheep. Jesus, as I say, spent so much time outside and clearly felt a real affinity with what God was, uh, was doing in his creation and what God was saying to him. And he used those examples in the way that he taught the people. So naturalists, they are those of us who love the outdoors, who love being surrounded by all that God has created it makes us feel at one with him, and we easily, easily, going back to that Colossians reading, overflow with thankfulness. Through our senses, we experience God with us, and in his creation, we see and experience the hand and the heart of God. So be brave. Which of you feels that that is certainly a part of your personality? Yeah. 
And that, in my circle there, is, is completely full because that's, that's actually when I go for my walks with the dog, that's the time that I feel God speaking to me most powerfully. And that's the time that I pray. Later in the service, we shall be singing that very well-known song, How Great Thou Art. And the guy who wrote that, who is called Carl Boberg, he writes, When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And that, for many of us, kind of really resonates, doesn't it? In our schools... They do have, um, in most schools now, forest school. And in our church schools, that's where they create amazing things. They make teepees, they make rafts, they create fire. Believe it or not, I saw some infants the other day actually starting fires with fire, you know, fire starters. It was incredible what they do in forest school. But in church schools, we don't just go and use nature. We actually, before we start, we, we pause, we pray, we look at what God has created and we give thanks and it's really important that children have the opportunity to do that but also and I've got it over here excuse me also most of our church schools and many community schools as well have spiritual gardens sometimes they're called peace gardens and this is a book that I wrote um, a, a few years ago, really, about helping, helping church schools to create their gardens. And some of the quotes that are in there at the back from children who just, it clearly it was their very, very most favourite place to be. This is what Joshua, age eight, says. The garden means a lot to me. I like to relax there, and it gets rid of all my nerves. Samson, age six, says, I sometimes say a prayer in my head when I'm in the garden with my eyes open. And Callum, age seven, said, I like it when our teacher reads us stories in the garden. My grandson, who permanently has, he's eight, no, he's not, he's six, who permanently has a ball attached to his foot. He, when I asked him the other day when I was collecting him from school, which is your favorite time of the day? And he said, it's when we go in the studio and we have some time of quiet. Now, I mean, I nearly fell over walking along with all these children. He loves the time of quiet. And in our schools, that's often the only opportunity that our children will have. So that's the naturalist. The second, the structuralist. Now, Perrin actually calls this the traditionalist, and I don't really like that word because it kind of makes it sound as if we're old-fashioned if we like structure. Jesus himself would have been familiar with worship that had a clear pattern. He prayed using the Psalms, and he also, of course, gave us the pattern for prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer. Structuralists are people who enjoy order, pattern, and symbol. In worship, they might feel close to God when using well-loved liturgy. And in their quiet times, they will follow a pattern each day. And it may be um, that 
they will follow something like I talked about last week that Pete Gregg talks about, you know, following the P-R-A-Y, the pause, the, uh, the rejoice, the uh, ask, and the yield. And many people like that pattern. Pete Gregg is one of those people that you would, I mean, he's behind the 24-7 prayer uh, initiative. And when you see these young people, and we, we heard um, Iggy talking about it last week, you see them and they are praying so passionately. And sometimes there doesn't appear to be any structure. But actually he says for himself, for his own quiet times, he uses um, the Celtic daily prayer the liturgy in that, and at the end of the day, he uses the prayer of examine. Because having a structure, whoever we are, having a structure can help. So those are structuralists. They enjoy order. So have we got any structuralists here? Yes. Okay. And do you know what? In the evening service, there is often a structure that people really respond to and relate to. In our schools, a structure is really important in our worship. And they use the windows, mirrors, and doors. It's, it's very simple, but incredibly profound. They use it in the infant school in their worship. Wind, first of all, they gather and there is a candle, a candle symbol. Then they have the window, which is about engaging, which is about the experience that they might have had. Then they, then they look at the, the, the mirror, and they think about reflecting. What has that taught me? What have I learned? What has God been saying to me? And then they look at the door, and that is about how am I being transformed by the learning that has happened? And that is something that our schools can teach us a lot about in the church. We do tend to go from one activity to, to the next, and perhaps we don't take stock and reflect on how effective whatever it is has been. I tell you, somebody who is amazing at that is Helen Owens. She organizes the uh, Carols by Candlelight. And last year, it was the first year that she'd done it. She got um, everybody together who had been involved. She got as many people to contribute as possible. How did you think it went? What could we do better next time? She had a meeting with the church leaders. Just recently, in the last week or so, she's got Joe to, to work with her about how that service can be even better this year. So it's that, that kind of cycle of, of reviewing and, and being transformed as a result. So that's the structuralists. The next one, the third one, ascetics. Now, we often hear in the Gospels about Jesus going to a quiet place to pray, away from the crowds. For myself, that is the only time in the morning or when I'm quiet that I do find that peace. And it has to be, it's very early for me, it's usually five o'clock. And that's the only time that I find it, I find it easy to discipline myself to do that. Ascetics are people who value simplicity and solitude. They love to go on retreat and at home they will need to have a quiet place. As a church, we try and include different types of worship, um, and we also try and include uh, um, opportunities for regular uh, retreats down to Mill House or Llangasty. Joe was saying that the evening service, if you haven't come to the evening service, give it a try. Joe said last week it was a very thin place. Do you know what I mean by that? Heaven and earth became very close 
Aidan had set out some prayer stations, and Joe said the atmosphere um, as, as people went round and, and really prayed, really did business with God. He said it was, it was a very thin place, this church at that time. So who is an ascetic? Yeah. In our schools, there is always a time of quiet in the worship. There is always a time of reflection. And as I said before, that is such precious time. It's the only time sometimes that children get a chance to be quiet. When I'm waiting to go into school at the end of the day, you see parents turning up with their cars to collect their children, and the music is pumping out, and the children will go home, and then they'll be on a screen. And, you know, there is noise, noise, noise all the time. And so it's just wonderful to give children that opportunity to be quiet. And the last one before our, um, our song, Knowing You, so if the, the worship leaders would like to come up, um, are the caregivers. And, you know, we have a lot of those in this church. I'm looking at quite a few of them now. We read in Mark 6 that just before the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus was filled with compassion for the people who were like sheep without a shepherd. Caregivers love God by loving others. For these folk, it's not a burden or a sacrifice. It is the most natural thing in the world. It's, it's something that they don't even think about doing. And they feel fully alive. You know, in John 10, when, it's, uh, John 10, 10, when, it, when Jesus talks about, I have come to bring life and, and bring it to the full, that is when they feel they are living life to the full, when they are caring. And an example that, that I have as we're talking about schools is, is the initiative that Diane has, has started um, and, and other people go in there as, uh, as well the, at the uh, secondary school where she saw when she went into down in secondary school that there was a real, um, a real issue, particularly for girls, but for boys as well, with self-image and, and feeling that they were worthless and, and people hadn't liked them enough on the social media. And so she started work with two-year groups, um, giving them a space to come and talk about those issues, to share. And she did that just naturally, and then went and got herself trained. Gary's been there as well and got trained. To, I think they, I'm quite sure where they went, but it was quite a long way away to get trained, to do a really good job. But it came out of that bubbling up of, of wanting to help, wanting to give uh, care. Who have we got that are caregivers? <laughs> yes, we have. We've got quite a lot. Thank goodness we do. And finally, before we sing um, our song, I was in a school the other day. That picture was taken by my son-in-law. He absolutely was just in a school. He was there to take pictures about, um, about how children are living out their values. And, and this was, um, a, this, he took this picture to illustrate compassion. Because this little girl had just gone and put her arm around the little boy on the bench because he was, as you can see, it's written all over him, isn't it? Feeling really fed up. And I was in a school the other day, a, a little school called Offenham, and um, the reception teacher was saying to me, do you know, she was saying, an example of a caregiver was in my reception class. The new reception class had come in, 
And there was one little girl who was sitting on her own. And the present reception group were all playing and everything. Everybody was playing, but this one child was sitting on her own. And she said, one of my children in reception this year went over and just put her arm around her and said, come and play with me. And she said, she's a natural caregiver. She notices. It's a, it's a very special thing. And people who are caregivers will know because it's when they feel fully alive. So we're going to sing a song now, um, Knowing You, just to give us a bit of time. And I just wonder if we might sing that song sitting down um, and just to give ourselves time to reflect. So the next one is the activist. We have someone sitting not a million miles from me who I know will fit absolutely into, into this learning, into this spiritual temperament. And we know that Jesus was an activist. He turned the tables over in his anger and frustration at the way the poor were being exploited by money changers. That was the only place that the Gentiles had to pray. And it was being turned into a corrupt marketplace. And actually, it's my personal take on that story that that's what infuriated more, him more than anything else. It was the only place that people who were, who were not Jews could go. And, and it, was, it was being wrecked. Of course, Jesus is supreme example of taking action, demonstrating God's love in action was the cross. Activists are people who are passionate about justice. They feel truly energized and all that God created them to be seems to come out when they take on a cause on behalf of others, and often on behalf of others who cannot do that for themselves. We have a number of activists in this congregation. Who are those? <laughs> Our example from school is an amazing example um, it, of um, the junior soup. And I think the picture that we have there is the Bromley Heath children who were so incensed that this kind of plastic couldn't um, be recycled, that they started this scheme. And, and that's still going on and we contribute to it. Children don't need any encouragement to be activists. They want to do something. And it is amazing. I find when I go into schools, that it is the most incredibly energizing place that you can be. And the one before the end is creatives. This is close to my heart. In John 1, we read, He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the one whom, through whom all things are made, supremely the creator. Creatives are people who, in making something new, become taken up in the process of creating. Whether it's cooking, writing, painting, woodwork, making a garden, calligraphy, flower arranging, needlework. It doesn't matter. It's creating something new. And the example that I have of someone who uses that gift um, to enrich our lives, and we have many of them here, many flower rangers here, but when I see sometimes Lorraine's 
um, Lorraine's arrangements, they are amazing. She does things with flowers and, and puts them very simply sometimes, but in a way that is breathtaking and absolutely lifts my spirit. It's a gift. Another one is my, my daughter, Daisy, who just loves baking. The ironic thing about it is Daisy does not like sweet things. So she makes all these cakes, and she takes one bite herself, and that's enough. I wish I was like Daisy. But she just loves creating. So who are the creatives? Yeah, we've got a lot of creatives. That's fantastic. Our best church schools are the places that allow children to learn to be worship leaders. And do you know some of the most inspirational worship that I have been part of is worship that is led by children. And I do not mean those times that they stand in a row and lift up their paintings. I'm talking about our children who are being trained to lead worship to look at those different areas of worship, the welcome, the learning, the reflecting, the responding, and to create acts of worship, which they then share with their friends. And I have seen infant children doing that amazingly well. So it doesn't matter what age. Creativity is something which is abundant in our schools. So finally, intellectuals. And we know that story in Luke 2, as Jesus was in the temple as a child, asking the most amazing questions. The teachers of the law, the Bible said, were astounded at his answers. So right from the beginning, Jesus was wanting to, to delve deeper, to ask questions. And the intellectuals among us are not necessarily the clever people. Our daughter got a first. She got a first at Cambridge. She's very bright. But she's not an academic. She's not an intellectual. She said she did it in order to pass the exam. But it doesn't fill her with joy. My son, on the other hand, is badly dyslexic, but loves to get to grips with things, loves to find out, struggles, but in a way he's more of an intellectual in that sense. Intellectuals feel energized and fully alive in fact, they feel closest to God when they're studying, when they're digging deeper into the meaning of things, when they're asking questions. And we have many of those here. But Peter Misselbrook is the one that brings to mind because he uses that gift, doesn't he, to provide our Bible studies for us. But he is totally energized. You can see with every fiber of himself when he's grappling uh, with, with a new problem or something that he's just found out. Children are naturally curious. It's how they learn. And the other day I was in a school seeing these big question boards where they can just ask any question they want. And the two questions that caught my eye is, has my guinea pig gone to heaven? And how can God be everywhere? These actually were children in an infant school asking these questions. And together the teachers, good luck to them, were needing to work with the children. So what? This is something that needs to be asked at the end, of, really, of every sermon, or certainly as part of it. So what? We have, we are all made differently. We have these different spiritual temperaments. But what do we do with them? 
If you're, there are three things that, that, that I just wanted to say briefly in closing. If your spiritual temperament means that you experience God when you are being creative, give time for that. Make it a priority. And when you are doing whatever it is, listen to God, proactively listen to God and think, how am I using my, God, my gifts? Can I use these gifts uh, to build up the whole body? But what about those temperaments that are not natural to you? It's not natural for me to sit quietly. But I need to do that. I need to work on the things that I'm weaker at because we see all of them in Jesus and it is Jesus that we're looking to become or like Jesus that we're looking to become. So we need to be disciplined. And the third thing is I'd like you to consider how we as a church nurture and celebrate people of all temperaments. How does our worship connect with people How does our life together connect with people, people of all temperaments? In the old days, home groups used to be a place where you did Bible study. There's nothing wrong with doing Bible study, but for some people, they will do that for a few weeks. But if it's just Bible study and there's nothing else, they will struggle with that. We've got a a long way, gone a long way since that was the focus of our life groups. But I think we need to be thinking about our whole church life and how we're making room for each of these temperaments. So can I have the six volunteers standing up? And can I have, um, Sharon, the slide that shows us all the different temperaments up again? Is it possible to do that? She's just doing it. What would you say was Iggy's? major temperament. Anybody remember? Activist, would you say? Turn over, yep, activist. Where's the activist one? Over here, right, okay. David. Caroline, where's Caroline? What do you think, what would you say about David? Yeah, a naturalist. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Helen, what would you say your David's is? (laughs) intellectual Intellectual, that's what I would have put down no so what is yours caregiver that is very strong isn't it with David as well Helen what about yours let me see I think there's quite a lot of people that know Helen really well what do you reckon creative yeah yeah is that right one more caregiver and another one She's got <laughs> intellectual. Natural. Yes, naturalist. Okay, thank you. And uh, yes, what about Claire? What do you say about Claire? I would think Claire was a naturalist. Yeah. She's always got these amazing rosy cheeks, hasn't she? As if she's just been for a bracing walk. And where's Brian? Is Brian here today? Oh, he's in Moldova. We can't really ask him. He's in Moldova. Sharon's back there. Okay. Sharon, yeah, what do you, say, what do you think about your mum, Sharon? Creative. Creative. Okay. I would say caregiver as well. Those are the two, yeah. 
We're going to, in a minute, put, in fact, I'd, I'd like to, you to put them on now. Um, if you just stick them with the blue tack onto the, uh, onto the circle here. Yeah, if you could put mine on as well. This is just basically to show that what we already know, that when you look at these circles, we are all different. And as a church, what we need to be doing more and more is to be taking that into account and making sure all of us with all of our gifts um, are being valued and encouraged and, uh, and celebrated. So I think on that point, I'll hand over to Joe.